0: This is Sidebar, where we break away from the echo chamber to give you the inside track on the latest legal issues and trends in business, law, and society, and predict what they mean for your future. hello and welcome to this episode of sidebars spotlight on ESG season which looks at how environmental social and governance factors are affecting you I'm Johnny Bethel a partner at Taylor West Inc. today I'm joined by special guests Glenn O'Halloran and Stuart Martin from Halden the insurance broker to discuss how insurance products can help businesses manage risk and the innovation being displayed in this area let's get started. So Glenn, Stewart, thank you for your time today. Would you like just to give a, a very brief introduction into your roles at Halden and the aspects of ESG which you focus on?
1: Thanks, Johnny. Hi, uh, my name is Glenn O'Halloran. I work within uh, the Halden M&A Insurance Division and, and in particular work on environmental risks uh, within the context of a transaction. I think for us, ESG is becoming uh, much more apparent for both uh, buyers and sellers uh, within the context of a transaction. If you look back just a few years ago, ESG due diligence wasn't even a thing that, that cropped up um, in a transaction. Now it's almost mandatory uh, on everything we do. And uh,
2: Stuart, over to you. Hi, everybody. So Stuart Martin yeah, Delighted to be joining the podcast today. I sit in the Howden Climate Risk and Resilience team. So we're group level. And our aim is to support and connect all of Haldon's businesses across the group to try and help them with the development of new insurance products, helping address new markets, and to try and find insurance solutions to address the problems associated with climate change and the move from a high to a low carbon economy. And now's a really great opportunity for us to demonstrate what the insurance industry can do in the world of sustainability and ESG. And insurance has got a really important part to play.
0: Thanks, Stuart. And thanks, Glenn. I, th- I think this is a fascinating topic and and a fascinating area, because you often think of insurance as something which is a cure for something that's happened. I think ESG intrinsically is something where one would think prevention is the more important factor. But I'm sure as we discuss today, we'll learn how perhaps insurance is part of a multi pronged approach that businesses can take to managing ESG issues. I'm a corporate lawyer by trade. So if it's okay, I'm going to start with a couple of questions for you, Glenn, on the M&A side. And obviously, we've seen on, on transactions how ESG matters can be increasingly large issues for the investors and decision makers who are making investment decisions around businesses. In terms of insurance solutions to these, do you see insurance market dealing with specific issues or general issues more often than not?
1: So on, on the M&A side, as you say, it has been an interesting journey over the last few years. If we turn back the clock a few years ago, buyers would typically undertake, you know, standardized environmental due diligence, phase one or a phase two, you know, environmental site assessment. Whereas these days, those types of reports often accompanied with perhaps even more detailed ESG due diligence. And I think that's just showing that the general trend of both M&A transactions and also what the insurance industry needs to look at in order to underwrite these types of transactions. So what we're seeing, particularly in the insurance industry, is lend of traditional w insurance, which might lean on ESG due diligence when looking at you know, certain environmental permitting and clients matters, and in fact, you know, these reports are used by underwriters to look, to go even further and look at their, you know, their governance and the kind of general attitude of their company being buy, uh, bought or, or sold to sort of ESG and, and social matters as well. But in saying that on the insurance side, we still are using standard site assessments, phase one and phase two environmental site assessments. We're seeing clients increasingly look towards insurance for risk transfer in this area. You know, again, a few years ago, the concept of applying environmental insurance onto a transaction was really only looked at in the heavy polluting industries like chemicals and and you know heavy industrial and manufacturing. These days, clients are looking towards specific environmental insurance to take other known matters off the off the table. And I think that's just showing the general risk management approach of both corporates and private equity firms to accepting environmental risks because of course, you know, it's an it's an area that's quickly evolving. And clients are facing more risk than ever before.
0: It seems to be particularly on the E rather than the S and the G. which is a question I'll come back to in a minute, actually, as to whether you think things might move towards the S and the G, if you agree with that assessment. But on the E side, and we talked about taking specific known issues off the table, do you see the insurance products being used for when there is a sort of specific environmental issue that has been uncovered as part of diligence, whether that's contamination or something similar to that or and or do you see um, insurance products dealing with unknown issues which haven't been picked up yet, which may come up after a transaction?
1: I think both are true and it's often reflected an equation I suppose of or a function rather of the, um, the due diligence that's been undertaken. You know, quite often we'll, we'll find specific soil and groundwater issues that may hold up a transaction. And again this, these might be things that you know a few years ago might have been quite acceptable to a, a particular buyer um, but these days they really are holding up or scuppering a transaction because of the heavier focus at a board level of the buyers or the investors to ensure that they are managing their environmental risks appropriately. On the flip side of that, the due diligence undertaken might be quite limited. And clients would look towards insurance for the exact reason that, that the unknown risks are sometimes just as scary as the known risks. So, look, I think ultimately both are true and insurance is Becoming more utilised across both the, the investment community and corporates uh, to help manage those exposures in, in the in the context of a transaction.
0: And in terms of what is insured, is it the remedial say to take a contamination issue? Is it the remedial work plus potentially fines and other costs associated with dealing with it say, if something were to occur?
1: Yeah, That's exactly right. So the traditional environmental insurance very much focuses on soil and groundwater contamination. And in the event something is uncovered or a known matter materializes into a liability, the insurance that's currently available in the market will cover things like cleanup costs and you know, regulatory costs and expenses. Fines and penalties can be covered, but it's still a gray area as to whether or not uh, the insurers are legally able to pay for those types of costs. Um, But also things like uh, business interruption costs, so the cost of shutting down the operations because of this risk that's materialised, and other costs and expenses associated with things like biodiversity damage and legal defence costs, um, no doubt, as well. So it's quite broad coverage that can be provided in the market for specific soil and groundwater contamination. But the market does go a bit further than that. Traditional W&I policies are still going to cover things like permitting and compliance warranties that are ultimately breached after completion occurs. And then there are other emerging products out there, like the ability to cover reputational harm as a result of some type of ESG-linked event occurring. So insurers are looking at ESG as a whole, so not just the E, although you know traditional products very much focus on the E. They're seeing it as an emerging area for insurance, which is quite exciting, to develop new products and help clients through this changing legal landscape that we find ourselves in.
0: Yeah, I think that's very true, and changing legal landscape and I think the law is probably following society in some ways as much as companies are following the law and I think it's clear that the environmental insurance market seems much more established and well trodden but it's interesting to hear what you're saying about how the insurance, what we may see more insurance products in the S and the G areas and I think you touched upon there about potentially reputational risk policies which it should be very interesting to hear about and potentially also S and G matters which are perhaps not even the consequence of an environmental issue Say where the reputational issue, for example, could come from, something which is not environmental, but is perhaps otherwise reputationally damaging?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think to really explain where the insurance market is looking at, I think it's also important to take a look at the existing underwriting practices on you know those traditional products like property and, and casualty insurance. So in our experience underwriters are now you know looking at certain clients to really help guide their underwriting decision on traditional property and and casualty insurance there's been a, a direct correlation observed between the ESG risk rating of a particular company and its claims frequency and, and and loss ratio which i think is you know really really interesting starting point so insurers are naturally looking at the full suite of ESG risks to to analyze you know, what they do and, and don't want on their or within their portfolio of risk
0: and presumably that's not just related to t- transactions that's relating to all aspects of commercial business insurance
1: precisely they are looking at this at, at every level and then to link that to to a transaction I suppose when we undertake insurance due diligence it's one thing that we look at is the ESG risk ranking and how that might guide the ability of the client to be um, insured in the future or you know the, the level at to which that would be an appealing business to an insurer. Is that both cost and
0: willingness to, I guess, insurers and underwriters have their own reputations in the businesses they want to be, not just reputationally, but the businesses they want to be um, associated with and, and be suppliers to ultimately? So if businesses aren't scoring sufficiently highly on ESG ratings, is that going to be an additional cost of premium or would some insurers perhaps not even look at those businesses.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. It could be a, um, one, the other, or, or a combination. It could, as an insurance broker, as we are, it could limit the amount of, or the number of insurers that we could approach, which would then uh, have a knock-on effect to the pricing and, and the coverage that's available.
0: I think one of the things we've touched upon earlier was the possibility of reputational risk insurance, which I think is, is an interesting one, because by definition, it's um, slightly after the horse is bolted. And is, is probably part of a, a multi-pronged strategy for dealing with risk as a lawyer and someone who has to think about these matters in terms of if you had a reputational risk policy and there was a, a matter which damaged the reputation of a business and, and its, its financial performance reduced, what would they be claiming for under the policy? And in broad terms, how would such an insurance policy quantify the loss which flows from the incident which has damaged the reputation of the business?
1: So the uh, the reputational uh, harm in insurance that's available out there in the market is is a really really interesting development, particularly in the ESG space. So first and foremost, I'd say it's it's not a new policy as such, but the way that we're seeing it applied is we're limiting the triggering mechanism to ESG linked events, which damages the reputation of a business and in turn has a detrimental effect to the operating profits or the revenue of that business. Now you asked, yeah, how, how do they sort of quantify the, the loss, it's, it's a really interesting area of insurance, which is development or development of, of parametric insurance or semi-parametric insurance. So what that means is that we don't necessarily have to demonstrate a liability as, as you would in traditional general liability insurance or traditional environmental insurance, but that certain parameters find metrics have been met. And in which case, once they have, that the insurer is obligated to pay out a predefined amount. So when we structure these types of policies, we look to define the, the particular events and then define a threshold at which the revenue must drop or beyond which the revenue must drop for a, a period of time. And the insurance will pay out on a calculation based on well, a number of of factors, but ultimately compensating for the, the loss of revenue. So an example might be that you know some type of supply chain um, issue or other ESG-related event has affected a, a consumer business, like a, a retailer, for instance. And once that is a causation that is linked to the defined ESG event, and a loss in revenue so for example people not buying the the goods that you're selling anymore because of the reputational harm once those metrics have been met the insurer is then obligated to to pay out a certain amount of loss during that whole period of which the insurer is assisting the business to get their revenue back up to where it was through certain crisis management and reputational management processes by employing the right people to help the business management manage their way out of I suppose the the uh, negative publicity that it's that it has received
0: potentially very useful product and i could talk to you a lot longer for we we can leave that one there and move on Stuart, to talk about some of the different aspects and perhaps more positive aspects in in some ways rather than dealing with a reputational matter and and some of the innovative products which which i've read about which have been developed by insurers at the moment and i think one of those is in in the context of humanitarian aid is that something you could explain to, to our listeners Stuart?
2: Yeah, I mean, what we're seeing at the moment with the new ESG sustainability agenda and, and the move from a high to a low carbon economy is tons of new business models being adopted, new markets being created, all of which are creating new risks and challenges. And one of the areas that we're looking at and focusing on quite heavily at the moment is the humanitarian disaster relief space. And anyone who's read or or even seen details about the latest UN climate report, there's no doubt that climate change is increasing the frequency of natural disaster events. And, and this disproportionately impacts the world's poorest. Along with that, what we're seeing is, is a huge funding gap. So humanitarian relief, the amount of money that's being collected to spend on these natural disaster events and what, what is actually needed is a huge shortfall so at the moment it's about 20 billion dollars so humanitarian disaster relief agencies they spend billions every year on on disaster relief but financing is is really really tricky for them it's rarely raised in advance when it does arrive on the scene it's quite often late so increasing insurance penetration is one way to to help uh, these organizations with their funding challenges so Last year, we worked with the Danish Red Cross. We helped them essentially set up an, an insurance-linked security catastrophe bond. So it's an alternative way in which disaster relief is pre-funded. And it resulted in the world's first volcano catastrophe bond. Just for a bit of context, there are about 500 million people who live near an active volcano. and. For the Danish Red Cross they chose 10 of the most active volcanoes which would cause a significant loss of life or loss of livelihood to uh, the populations in the surrounding area were these uh, volcanoes to erupt and by using a, a, a cap bond based on a, a parametric trigger mechanism which is based on a index so Richter scale for an earthquake or wind height or, or sorry, wind speed or wave height for, for the volcano. It was based on the height of the ash column plume and also the wind direction. And once these triggers are met, they've been modelled well and and investors are put money in, then there is a, a, a payout which goes directly to the local Red Cross society on, on the ground. So it's just an example of a really innovative risk transfer product where traditionally hadn't really been thought of before. And it's just something that could be scaled up many times over.
0: So if I understand that correctly, the funds are spent on the insurance, and that would then enable a greater volume of, of funds to be to be delivered to quickly and, and effectively delivering disaster response aid where, at a time where time is probably the most critical thing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So with parametric insurance, you've got guaranteed and a rapid payout. So the Danish Red Cross, they've, they only have to pay the premium for this uh, insurance cover, and it's a bond, so they actually pay a coupon of five percent to an investor who is essentially taking money. But if there is a disaster event, they do stand to lose all of their money. So it's you know it's it makes sense for everybody because the danger Cross, they don't have to keep millions of pounds aside in case they have to react quickly to a significant eruption. They just pay the, a premium, and then for the investor, they are getting a a healthy return of 5% and they're investing in probably the most ESG-friendly assets out there at the moment.
0: No, absolutely. It's fascinating to think that's something I wouldn't have even thought of really as a way to not just help with the quantum of the fundraising, but I think the speed of the delivery of the funds is a fascinating area to understand and to hear about. Moving away from that, you talked about before about how insurance is helping to enable transition towards a lower carbon economy. Uh, have you got some examples of the ways how insurance products are being used to do so?
2: Yeah, definitely. So we are looking heavily at ideas and products to help with the acceleration to lower carbon economy in the environmental commodity market space. And we think that given all of the commitments to net zero that we're, we're hearing about at the moment and the increased demand we're seeing for, the carbon, for carbon offsets in the voluntary offset space, we think that insurance has got a, a huge role to play here in, in guaranteeing... Their environmental integrity. I'm sure most people will have heard about some serious cases where there's been greenwashing or voluntary offsets, which are not worth the paper they're written on. So to give you an example, we were involved. In 2013, the California state established a a carbon cap and trading scheme. And so companies representing about 85% of California's economy are now required to cap their annual greenhouse gas emissions with an allowance of up to only 8% to be offset by purchasing voluntary carbon offset credits. And this market is regulated to ensure that the carbon offsets have got good environmental integrity there. And if the regulator deems that they're not valid, then they can invalidate those, uh, those offsets. So we actually built an insurance product to provide a client that we have with an insurance policy that would indemnify them for the value of the offsets if they were to be invalidated by the regulator and this allowed the client to replace invalidated offsets by purchasing better offsets within the market and the the triggers for those are fairly simple insurance will protect the client from invalidation due to fraud and negligence and fraud and negligence is something that the insurance market can can get their head around they can price and um, and and they can get the clients and the insurer comfortable with
0: that's like a great example of where a genuine unknown business buying what they think is a reputable offset and it falling away and, and absolutely i can see that insurance can step in there You insurance like that is not a particularly huge cost i would expect
2: no absolutely for the markets we're working in now it's very competitively priced we've got the data we've done the modeling and we envisage that there will be a move to more regulation in the voluntary offset space which is lacking at the moment in various jurisdictions around the world it's very well defined uh regulation is great because everyone knows where they are but with the tidal wave of regulation coming down the track, and I think it would be inconceivable that the voluntary offset market would remain unregulated for so long. And I think there will be huge growth in this area. We're looking at a, a $50 billion voluntary carbon offset market by 2030. So we think that insurance is good to be positioned in, the, in this space and, and it will help bring great legitimacy and stability to the market at the same time.
0: you mentioned about insuring against others greenwashing as opposed to businesses insuring against their own greenwashing? Are there any other examples of products you've seen in the market which would help for that? Because I think that's a a big risk of people who are absolutely trying to do the right thing and through no fault of their own are left exposed.
2: Yeah, there's uh, a huge reputational risk for many of the sorts of clients and companies we're talking to. I think the carbon offset space is one such area where we think that insurance can have a huge role to play. But we're also looking at Helping energy clients, for example, or fossil fuel emitting type businesses as they move on their tra- transition to a, a lower carbon economy. And we all know turning off carbon emitting power plants in countries around the world is not going to be the solution. But we cannot replace coal uh, with wind overnight. Our, our job is to help clients transition. So we're looking at various different products which will help our energy team, for example, as they build out practices and, and products with their clients who are moving away from fossil fuels
0: well thanks both for your time today that's been an incredibly fascinating conversation i think insurance in this area is definitely wider and more far-ranging than that i would have expected is there one takeaway which you'd like to leave with our listeners
1: i think the key message that that i would have to to anyone listening is that you know insurance doesn't necessarily have the the hard edges it might otherwise be perceived to possess you know we're, we're seeing clients coming to us with risks that weren't necessarily something that they were previously concerned about or it wasn't an area that of risk that they had to worry about in in the past so you know the the insurance market is certainly evolving these things evolve and being able to you know transfer risk for clients that you know otherwise would have ended up either on their balance sheet or you know something that they would have had to have taken a view on which would have been something that's you know uncomfortable to, to their board or, or their investors so certainly in an evolving area of insurance. And I would encourage anyone to get in touch with us um, with anything to do with ESG risks or climate change risks to have a discussion and, and see what the insurance market can do. Thanks, Glenn. And Stuart, is there anything you would like to add?
2: Yeah, just to echo what Glenn said, insurance has got a really important part to play. It's a, a great enabler of business. Nothing ever really gets invested if it doesn't have insurance. And by using insurance, you can remove barriers to enable capital to be deployed in the sustainable finance world and, and product innovation is, is really important part of that. Uh, and, and we think that insurance market can deal with these challenges.
0: I think there's a few certain things in this world. One of the things is almost certain is that esg factors are going to increase in importance across all businesses and as factors increase important with increase importance so does risk and obviously risk is is something there which insurance may be a part or full solution to in the the ways that you've um, very helpfully outlined today that's it for this episode of sidebar glenn stewart Thank you for joining me today. Look out for more from our Spotlight on ESG season soon. If you'd like to learn more about what ESG might mean for you, please visit our website at taylorwesting.com forward slash ESG. And don't forget to subscribe. Thank you for listening to Sidebar. Tune in to our next episode by subscribing now. And have the inside track on the latest legal issues and trends in business, law and society and what they mean for your future.